We've made it back for a second episode. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a milestone in, in end of itself. I think there's something magic right now about the monthly format. Yeah. It's just enough time away to to not feel rushed. So it's easier for us to schedule. You know, actually, I, I sat down and I figured it out today. We're recording right now on the 3rd. And I'll edit tomorrow. So this will probably be posted on the 5th, which is exactly a month since the last episode. You know, what's interesting about the month break too, is that I found myself like a week ago already kind of anticipating, like I was really excited to record, you know what I mean? And that's, that's, that's a nice one. It's something that I'm learning right now. This is actually, I actually have a topic. I don't know where we're going to go with it, but I've, I've changed like everything that I'm doing creatively recently. Mm. And one of those changes is I took my solo podcast and it's monthly now too. I assume you have it on alternating, like an alternating timeline to ours. Yeah. The, this, this is going to be at the beginning of the month, like we're mm-hmm. doing right now. And then that one's in the middle of the month. So I get two weeks between each recording. Gotcha. I just got to a certain point where I realized that I was in a place where completely where I wanted to be, where I'd always planned to be, you know, it wasn't something that I accidentally fell into. It was something I very much planned to be, but realized that I no longer wanted to be there, which is the treadmill of the weekly episode. Yeah. It's something, it's actually something we probably talked about back in the day when I stopped doing the daily vlogs, because that was like treadmill on super speed. Yeah. I was, I was literally just going to bring that up. That was the question I had for you is that I, I still cannot believe that you did that every day. Me neither. I really don't, I can't even imagine. I remember certain moments, actually, I shouldn't say I can't imagine. I remember certain moments of sitting at this computer and just being like completely unaware of time, you know, like (laughs) what, what, what day is it? You know, because there was so much of that I'm editing yesterday, but I'm living today, which means, you know, I have to keep my eye on what I'm filming for today, but I'm editing yesterday. And everything is a process. So you're never really present. So like time just became this like illusion. But as far as like the weekly treadmill thing, what I just realized is, you know, I, I dedicated myself to podcasting for, I'd say a couple years where it was like my main creative output. So being on the treadmill was good. That's what I wanted to do. I was doing another one out, another one out. I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. I'm living this right now. Mm -hmm. But then I started, something else started to slowly sneak in, which was I was starting to miss being able to do other things. And I don't mean like with my personal life, I mean, creative, other creative things. Like I wasn't, I haven't been writing at all. Mm -hmm. And I started to really miss the process of writing and not like writing to get something out within five days, literally just working on something until it's done, Mm -hmm. no matter how long that takes. And I think I use this metaphor in the podcast, my solo podcast, when I was explaining this to the audience, it's, it's like you set out a goal on a hike. Like I want to get to that peak up there where I can see that tree. So you hike and you get there. And now that you're there, you go, okay, where's the next place I want to go? 
because I have to take a different route to get to that other place. Sure. And I got to, I got to that first peak or okay, this is where I wanted to get. Now, where do I want to go? And I can't do that by doing weekly episodes because there's no time for me to do anything else. Yeah. There's no time for you to stop and reevaluate. It's just a constant treadmill. Like you got to get it done. Yeah. I mean, actually even a better way to say it, there's, there was no, no space. Yeah. I definitely know that feeling. Like I, I feel like, and, and it's strange because I don't have a conscious awareness of when my body reaches burnout in that sense, but it's like a different kind of burnout. It's, 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 it's a survival instinct in that you're now just in the process of doing the same thing over and over again, because you need to, to survive your current life, you know? And I feel like sometimes we create that for ourselves, you know, we create the, and, and maybe it's a defense mechanism, you know, maybe that level of busyness means that we don't have to be creative and that's the excuse we give ourselves, but right. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, that, that's definitely one of the things that I, I started to notice. What I do want to clarify first, though, is in this case, it wasn't something that happened on accident. I didn't burn out. I mm. just got to a point where it's like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do something different. I didn't, I didn't actually burn out. I was completely capable of doing it, but I did have the question over and over again. How long will it be until I'm not able to get that next episode out? And when you start thinking like that, then you have to really start to evaluate if you're still on that direction. There was something sure. else that you said that, that I was going to respond to, but I forgot. Well, unless the, unless the thing that you're doing requires evolution, you know, like in my job, for example, stagnation is the mental stagnation or intellectual stagnation is actually extremely dangerous and, and, and getting to the point where you have to turn your brain off to survive means that you will mire yourself in mediocrity like that's where you stay you know what i mean like you won't innovate you won't you won't you won't logically deduce you won't you won't you just won't have any moments of, of self-examination that are meaningful enough to create change i think that's that's one of the things i started to recognize was like i'm doing this i'm enjoying doing it but i'm not getting anything out of it in that way sure in yeah, the yeah, sense yeah. that it's not leading me to something else it's just keeping me where I am. I, I was treading water and I, I didn't want to tread water anymore, but I didn't also yeah. want to abandon it because like I said, I didn't burn out. So I just had to dial it back. And at first I considered doing every other week and then maybe every three weeks, but I was like, you know, this once a month thing with lambs working out really well. So maybe I'll just do that with that show too. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. And maybe that, that gives you, you know, if you add another show here or there, and you do it on a once a month thing, it allows you to change gears from show to show. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. that, that definitely prevents me from repeating myself. Yeah, exactly. It keeps it fresh for your brain because the format, the subject, and even the style looks different. Yeah. If I'm doing them too tightly together, they start to feel like the same show. Yeah. They bleed together. Sure. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is meant to be different on purpose. Sure. And what it also makes me reevaluate exactly what I'm doing with the other show too. You know, I haven't recorded a new, I shouldn't say a new episode. I haven't recorded an episode since I decided to go once a month. Uh -huh. So I'm not even sure what's going to happen after a month because I haven't done it yet. But I imagine that one thing I don't have to worry about is not having anything to talk about because for the most part, it was, I guess you could say in a way what the show had evolved into is sort of a, like a, an audio magazine. Here's an article about this album. Here's an article about this book. Here's an article about this idea. That's essentially what the show became. When I got to the end of the week, what I had is what I had because it had only been, you know, like 
seven days. And if you actually subtract the production days out of it, I was really doing a show in like four and a half days. Now that I have a month, I have all of this stuff. I can't talk about all of it. So now I can pick and choose what I want. I've read like nine books this month. I'm not going to talk about all nine. I can pick and choose the ones I want to talk about. But I feel like there's also, because I feel like both you and I grew up in an era where there were a lot of magazines and newspapers and like, you know, just tangible, readable things that were like daily productions or weekly productions or monthly productions. Mm-hmm. So I think by our very nature, like our brains kind of operate that way. So, you know, and I remember the rig of my role of like having to, you know, I've worked on quite a few publications in my life. And I remember how different it was to work for a publication with a fast around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, 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 there's definitely a very stark difference to your thought process and your actual writing process and, 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 and having to, to contend with such a tight and fast schedule was such a daunting task. Right. You know, like people work for a magazine deadline means get it done. Yeah. Period. Make it happen. Make quality is irrelevant. You talk about like a magazine that comes out four times a year. It's make sure that you're finished by this time. It's a very different meaning. But there, there is something to be said though for, you know, and, and, but it also teaches you a really good lesson too, about, about not letting perfect be the enemy of good, you know what I mean? And, and getting it the hell done. I mean, that's something that you learn to appreciate in that environment too. And not only that, but it trains the muscle in a very different way. Like I learned to think really quickly and I learned to think on my feet a lot better. So I, it's not just to say that there's there aren't inherent positives that come out from working that way, but you know, some people are made for that and some people aren't. And, and I feel like for people like you and I, we're storytellers by our very nature, but I think that both you and I also favor the long form narrative. That's, that's who we are. And telling a complete story is more important than telling a fast story. Well, it's also what you'd need at the time too, right? Sure. You know, like you, you and I change, we're human beings, everybody, every single person listening changes. Sometimes you need, like you said, you need that time where it's like, I needed to learn how to just get stuff done because I was being lazy with my thinking. And that's, that's probably why I set that goal up for myself. It was like, I felt like mm-hmm. I was being lethargic with my thinking and giving myself too much space to develop things. So I was never creating anything. Yeah. So that forced me to do something, but then it got to a point where I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm making stuff, but am I making anything that you know, I, I, I guess a, a better way to say it is I was continually making things that were first drafts. I was really mm. looking forward to doing something that would allow me to edit, to do multiple drafts. You know, like when you're doing a weekly show, that's a first draft. Like, here's what I got because I've only had this many days to collect it. But now with a month, I can stew over things. And I can, like I said, I can pick and choose. Like this is, I want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about that one. There are definitely who are, there are definitely people who are extremely good at that though. Oh yeah, absolutely. You have to, you have to thrive off it. Yeah, exactly. Like there's an adrenaline, there's an adrenaline to getting them things done quickly. Like, you know, in, in my current capacity and, and job, like I work with a ton of reporters and you can tell, like for most of them, the good ones anyway, there's a very strong sense of that excitement, like that, that urgency that kind of fuels how they do things. But yeah, I mean, I feel like I, you're right. I mean, it, I definitely had that at one point in my life. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm just not that guy anymore. Like, it's not the way I want to tell stories. And it may, may to some degree also have to do with age too. You know, like sure. when you're young, you, you thrive off the idea of chaos. And then as you get older, you're like, fuck that. Yeah, chaos <laughs> kind of sucks. 
And, and not to say that doing a weekly show was chaos because it, the daily is chaos. No matter what you mm-hmm. do, doing something daily by yourself, especially weekly was just, it was just too much and I needed mm-hmm. to dial it back. And it's interesting to see how that one change, I guess maybe going along with my metaphor of reaching that peak, when you reach that peak, you have a different perspective because now you're standing in a different place than you were when you started. So now standing there and going, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. Whoa, everything changes. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, the podcast is really fun, but the podcast is like third tier now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, as, as far as priority, it's like, it's like third. It's just something I do for fun. Sure. It's not, it's not even considered a priority anymore. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's definitely, I feel like for me, it's the, we're going back to the matrix, which by the way, I want to talk to you about the matrix at some point. It's, it's the problem is choice. I remember that line from Neo in like the third movie when he's talking to the architect. It, I feel like it really is about choice. And I feel like it, in, in the moment in which I'm choosing to do something, I'm far more motivated and, 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 and certain and armed and all the rest of that to, to achieve that thing. But when choice gets removed and when it's something I have to do, that's a whole different ballgame. Right. I was doing time blocking for a short period of time, which is actually really effective. But what I found was time blocking was really great Monday through Friday, but maybe because of the generation that we are, I still have that five days a week, two days off thing in my head, mm-hmm. you know, nine to five, five days a week, you know, the work schedule that's this quote unquote standardized factory work schedule. So I would get to Saturday and all of a sudden, like the, the thing that I had, you know, the day, the time blocking I had set for every day became exactly what you were talking about. Like, oh no, no, I don't want to do this today. Mm-hmm. And I realized it's, oh, on the weekends, it's not that I don't want to do anything on the weekends. It's on the weekends. I want the out to say, I don't want to do it. I want no, the out. True. Or I want the out to say, I'm only going to do this one thing and I'm going to do it for four hours. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm okay with the stringent schedule during the week. If I do that, mm-hmm. I have to break from it. I have to yeah. break it. And some people like some Martha Graham, Twyla Tharp, I think it is. She's a famous choreographer. And for her, it's the exact same thing every day, seven days a week. And she can't break it because that's what works for her. And I'm not like that. I need, I need a break in pattern. I will say I, I'm probably more like her than I am like you, like my I definitely have a seven day a week schedule and like, it's been a long time since I've done five days on and two days off, but I, I will say that I need breaks in between like, and it's not to say that it has to be on weekends or anything like that, but there are just moments where I have to just take part of a day and just not do any of those things. To clarify, when you say that you're a seven days a week schedule, what exactly are you incorporating in that? I mean, are you just talking about like your habits or are you talking about work? Like, what do you, what are you talking about that you have to do? The same thing seven days a week. A little bit of both for my work, because my, my work is nebulous, um, in the sense that 
it's not just a job. You know, I work on campaigns. I work on, I, I, I'm on the board of three different nonprofits. So, I mean, it's literally a seven day a week job, but you know, my habits have also become, because I think that's part of it too. Like I remember a time in my life when I had, I had five day habits, you know what I mean? Where like Monday through Friday, you wake up at a certain time and you expect to be done with your day by a certain time. And then on the weekends, you don't, you don't give yourself those restrictions. You know what I mean? Like you just do whatever you want. And it's been many, many years since I've had that probably close to five by now where, you know, there are often time because of the, the work that I do, I'm more busy on the weekends than I am during the weekdays. I think for me, the seven days a week is just mostly for habits. Seven yeah. days a week, I wake up at the same time a week. I mean, same time a week, same time of the morning. <laughs> and I go to bed at about the same time every night, seven days a week. I think what, what it is for me is things that I do seven days a week, the same boil down to things that I don't even have to think about to make them happen. Like I go to bed about the same time, just because that's how it works out. There's not an alarm going off on my phone and mm -hmm. waking up the same thing. I don't, I haven't woke up with an alarm on my phone for five years. Like I just really? wake up when I wake up about the same time every day. Interesting. Typically I wake up an hour before and then just like lay in bed, trying to sleep that extra hour mm -hmm. and not doing well. <laughs> But that's just, that's the, the perils of getting older and having a back. But yeah, sure. But other things, you know, like uh, my tea regimen and all these things, like that's stuff I do seven days a week. I don't do this now, but I did this for a while where if I was like going through a show, you know, like a longer show, like we'll say I was watching The Wire, right? <laughs> I might be watching that every night, Monday through Friday, but then I get to Saturday and Sunday, be like, okay, I'm not allowed to watch that on the weekend. Oh, interesting. And I think what I was trying to do was I was trying to simulate that break in pattern because uh -huh. when you, when you work at home and you, you work and you live and you sleep in the same room, that repetition, it, it becomes kind of like what I was saying with the vlog, like what day is it? I don't know. So you, like to break the pattern a little bit, I think I was trying to replicate that. You know, I don't like, I don't miss drinking, but I <laughs> do miss looking forward to what Friday night meant. Mm. You know, it's like Thursday, hmm, Thursday's kind of boring. But then in your mind, you think like, but tomorrow night I'm going out, you know, remember that, that feeling like yeah, it was like little <laughs> mini celebration you got to give yourself every week. And it was never as much about the drinking as it was just about like that thing to look forward to mm -hmm. no definitely and i don't have that yeah i wonder i wonder i wonder if there's a, a the daily doldrum and and you know a monotony that gets created by not having that break though like that sense of excitement for something that you want to participate in you know because i will say i i have that for myself informally it's funny i haven't thought about that but it you know every once a week and it's usually on sundays like today was that day for me i golf doesn't matter what the hell else is going on. You know, there's a hundred different things I could be doing, but that, that four hours or five hours or whatever it is, is my time. And no one gets, no one gets to impede on that. You know what I mean? Right. And that's, and that's now the thing I look forward to. And I, I, I don't really, I don't really understand the importance of it until I realize that, you know, on Saturday night at like eight o'clock, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad I get to golf tomorrow. Yeah. Well, I think you know? we need that. It's, I'm remembering something why is it someone told me once but i can't remember it you know when you're just remembering a piece of something but mm -hmm. it's something about like you it's hard to live 
in a positive place when tomorrow's not meaningful. And I don't mean specifically tomorrow, but tomorrow is in the future. If you don't have something mm-hmm. to look forward to, what is to propel you forward? And when you start to lose those little things, you know, it's like, as you get older, you start celebrating your birthday less and less. Mm-hmm. So then you stop caring about your birthday because you're yeah. not looking forward to it anymore. Sure. I'm not saying that I want to go back to drinking in, in, in the bar every Friday, but. You know, it, it, it's the replacement for certain things too, right? Like I feel like purpose is defined in those things too, as well. <laughs> like I know for me, that's definitely part of the, the you know, a, thankfully my job, whether I like it or not, there are, there are clear milestones. You know what I mean? There, there, there are very clearly delineated moments in which certain things have to be done. Like when you're having to write a law, for example, like there are deadlines, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so for me, I think I'm fortunate because I know plenty of people who are our age, who are now going through that, you know, like some of our friends who have never not been bartenders who are thinking like, what the hell, what am I doing? You know, and other friends who, who do certain jobs, like I, you know, one of our friends who, who has been working for a, a, a grocery chain that shall not be named that recently just got out bought out by Amazon. I actually like that defines it, but you know, he's worked his way up through management. He's up to middle management and he's not sure what any of it means anymore. And if he should even do it anymore, you know? Yeah. And, and it's, it's weird because it sneaks up on you. And as much as I think midlife crises are idiotic, I I'm starting to really understand how, if you lose your sense of purpose, one day you wake up and you realize you haven't had one for a long time. I think there's a fight club quote, right? Where he's talking, where he's talking about calling his dad. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to go to college. Okay. I go to college. I get to go to college, I get a degree. And after I get my degree, I finish college and I call my dad. I say, what the hell am I supposed to do now? And he says, get a job. So I go and I get a job. And then Mm -hmm. what am I supposed to do now? You know, get married, have family. There's always this, this goalpost, right? There's always Mm -hmm. this thing to be moving forward. But then at a certain point of your life, you hit all those things and you're like, now what? Now what? (laughs) <laughs> like, like why why am i why am i doing this thing called living now you know before sure. it was to get to that i guess going back once again to my metaphor of the the next checkpoint once you get to the next checkpoint but what what happens when you run out of checkpoints mm-hmm. i think that's why i always have to have creative projects because the creative project becomes that thing for me i'm like well i guess this is what i'm living for mm-hmm guess that this is why I'm waking up every morning. I guess this is why I'm reading. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. There's, I'm trying to find a way to say this properly because I don't want it to sound preachy or prescriptive, but I feel like you have to ask yourself, you, well, there are two things, right? Like a, you have to define purpose in a couple of different senses. Like this was the conversation I was having with this friend of ours, you know, the, the big things are one thing, but you have to start with the little things too, you know, like the little things define, define your sense of, of, of consistency. And I think that consistency creates motivation in end of itself. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like I, I have a very refined set of habits that I do every single day and I don't ever give myself a break on those things. You know what I mean? doesn't matter how tired I am. doesn't matter how much I have to do. There are just certain things that I do every single day. Um, But then there's the question of, is that the distraction? Do we get caught up in these, these repetitious patterns because they allow us not to think about the fact that we don't know what we're doing? No, that's, it it can, if you, if you're complacent about them, but I, but I'm not, I redefine them all the time. 
You know what I mean? And I, and I change them as they need to change. Like for example, what I do in order to be active, you know, my eating habits, my, my eating patterns, like, which by the way, are two very different things. You know, my, my consumption of, of, of media, like music and art and, and TV and stuff like, I, I, it's not to say that those things can't change. Like you have to have the guts to change those things and ask yourself every once in a while, whether or not they're still good for you. But I think the repetition itself frees up a lot of space, if that makes sense. It's, I guess it's, everything has a, it has these, these outer edges. And if you, mm-hmm. if you veer too far to the outer edge, you know, not, not to go with the polarity metaphor, but more like, like a globe, you know, like a, like a ball, you want to be as close mm-hmm. to the center of the ball as possible or moving around in there. Mm-hmm. But if you're battering up against the edges, then yeah, it starts to grate on you. Well, let me give you, let me give you an example, right? I don't do this anymore, but I used to do this. I did this for years, which is. For lunch, I would prepare something at the beginning of the week and I would eat the same thing for lunch every single day during the week, five days a week. <laughs> and I did it not, not for the sake of dieting because I don't care about dieting inherently, but I did it to basically give myself one less thing to think about <laughs> so I could free myself up to, to, to use that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it, I, I've heard that term used. I don't think I understand it well enough, but I think I understand it at a base level enough to, to agree with you. Exactly what you're describing. It's the Steve Jobs thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, like if I could, I would wear the same thing every day. <laughs> Just to remove that, 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 that need for that, that, that executive function. Like I don't, I don't, the, I, I, I very much prescribe to that idea that I know we've talked about many times, which is um, the illusion of, of happiness through choice. I right. don't want to choose everything. I don't want to have that many options. You know, yeah. I want, I want the things that I want options for to have many options, but I don't want that many options in my everyday life. I think a, a good way to explain the metaphor even further is like the problem with, with browsing for media, whatever box you have on your TV, if you have a streaming box, I'm talking to you, but I'm also talking to whoever's listening. You have a streaming box, you turn it on, you know, whether it's an Apple TV, Fire Stick, whatever the hell it is. Mm-hmm. Rarely do we just turn it on and go boom, right into something. At the worst times, we end up in these cycles of like, now, now, and then you realize like 20 minutes has gone by because there's too much to choose from. It's the illusion of choice, but what you're really doing is you're not choosing the best thing anymore. Now you're just choosing whichever kind of feels you're vibing more. Maybe I guess is a good way to say, you know, it's like it's before when we, when we were like flipping the channels on television, it was like poop poop, poop. Oh, this is something I like. And then that's what you would watch. But now it's like, there's something I like. There's something I like. There's something I like. There's something I kind of like. There's something I love. Which one do I feel like right now? Sure. Like food, right? You have the patient. Sure. But I feel like, but I feel like there's, there's, there's also the other side of it too. Like, you know, I think of, I think of my choices when it comes to that, like even this week, I, it's not about some, I mean, don't get me wrong. When you're not exhausted, it's definitely about vibe. Like, what do I feel like today? You know, but when you're- No, I'm not, I'm not cool. saying it's a good thing, by the way. I'm saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying that doing that is uh, an exemplification of what you're talking about. Gotcha, okay. We waste 20 minutes because we have so many options where in that 20 minutes, we could have already been watching something. I'll take it a step further for you too. Like, you know, just to, the exhaustion of having to make decisions, right? And like, I spend most of my day having to be decisive and making decisions. So after what typically for me is an 11, 12 hour day, 
you know, I don't want to come home and make more decisions. So for me, my enjoyment of something gets curtailed by the fact that my entertainment is, is 100% attrition. Like it's whatever the hell I'm sick of, like whatever I'm, I'm landed on after being sick of looking around for 25 minutes. It's the classic example of the, the trope fight on television between a married couple and specifics going back through historical television. What do you mm-hmm. want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? When uh, all they're, that. what they're all, one of them is maybe even both of them is asking, I don't want to choose what to eat. So can you make this choice? Yeah, of course. But they're not communicating that. So it becomes this fight about what to eat when neither of them actually care about what to eat. They actually just want the other person to make a choice. Yeah. And, and it's, it's funny you say that because I feel like in my working life, I have a lot of examples of, of, of people that I've worked with who have become friends who, for whom our friendship is defined by communicating that well. Like we know what the other person's good at and we don't even want to be involved in the decision-making. And we know what the other person's good at and they don't want us to be involved in that decision-making, you know, by that same token. And typically like it's become so intuitive, like, you know, Celeste and I, for example, we were, we were working in, in the Senate office during the beginning of all this madness. So we had to work together really fast and very well. So we had to come up with those things in order to just survive our environments. And I feel like there, there's, there's a lesson that I learned through all of that and that, you know, I don't even know how to say this without making it sound awful, but a lot of the time for organizations and, and for the, the, the positive forward movement of a project, democracy is not good. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. What's well, it's, if you talk to people who study politics historically, they'll tell you that the truest form of government is a benevolent monarchy. Sure. Be, obviously benevolent because you don't want someone that doesn't have the will of the people at heart, but sure. monarchy because they can just make the choice and it can be done. There's no debate yeah. and, and it's done. And there are times when having to get opinions is a pain in the ass. Yeah. I mean, just imagine, let's take my podcast, for example. Imagine if I had to go to a board every week and say, so here's the books that I read. I'm thinking about talking about this one, pointing out this fact. And I had to debate it before I could even like decide if I was going to make the episode. That's what I, that's what it's like working for public radio. I imagine. Oh, sure. I don't know. I, 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 I don't think, I don't think it's always like that. And I think actually most editorial boards and boardrooms don't work that way. You know, like I think about, because I'm on currently on the board, all three of my nonprofits are not diplomatic or not democratic by nature. Like we, we assign people very specific duties based on what they're good at. And we let them make the choices. Occasionally when there's a much larger, like philosophical direction that we all have to choose together, then we get back together and make that decision as a group and we discuss it. But in the small stuff, man, we, we let, we trust people to run, run the show, you know, and, and I've instilled that in almost every environment that I've been in is that if I trust you, just go ahead and do it. And it's okay to make mistakes. Like we can learn from those mistakes. And if, but that also doesn't mean that if you need a resource or input that you shouldn't reach out for it, I just trust you. There's there's a lot of books about becoming a good CEO and stuff like that. And a lot of them, they talk about at the small level, when you're first starting out, one of the most important decisions you can make is to like set a monetary limit 
for each level of employee or whatever, but like if the decision affects anything under this level, just make the choice yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't even worry about it. Just make the choice and we'll, I'll back you. Mm -hmm. And then if it's over this, then we'll discuss, you know, like. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've worked in companies like that. You know, like if you're working at the register, if it's anything under 10 bucks, whatever, make the decision yourself, but it's a $50 item we're having a problem with. Come find the manager. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have that level of, in order to function. That's why micromanaging doesn't work. Well, this is why, and, and I think that's part of the, the, oh man, now we're getting a whole different world of discussing like political philosophies, right? This is why I think a republic is supposed to function the way that it does, because Mm -hmm. every single person should not have input on every single decision. That's insane. Like in a society of 300 300 plus million people, there's absolutely no way it wouldn't come to a grinding halt if every single person had to have input on everything. Imagine like the, the most extreme of like pure democracy. The fire department has received a phone call. Should they respond? Everybody, please vote. You don't want that. You want it to come in yeah. and you want the firemen to go to the fire. It's not something that should be up for debate. So mm-hmm. you're right. It parcels off responsibility, especially yeah. in the United States when you have state governments, state and then county and then city. Let's hit the random button. We haven't done that yet. Let's do it. Let's All go. right. Here we go. I wish we had like a little tumbling sound, like <laughs> tumbling dice or like, you know, like those electronic gambling What's that? What's that? Press the that game show. Press your luck. I don't know what that is. When you were trying to avoid, avoid whammies, do you remember those? Oh, that's what that was called. No whammy. No whammy. No whammy. Yeah. No whammy. No whammy. Stop. And they have that like weird boop 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 boop. boop. The random note is the image of the genius or the natural talent allows us to excuse our choice to not try. In, in other words, I didn't need to try because I knew. I didn't have the natural talent that you do. Oh my God. That's my entire life, by the way. For you, you've been like that or people have told um, you that? Uh, well, no, it's so, so I'm actively ter- I'm, I'm probably one of the worst people ever at taking compliments in any meaningful way. I'm terrible at it. I'm the worst at it, including things that I know that I'm inherently good at. So the core of that is when I was a kid, for lack of a better way of saying it, I had a lot of really unique talents and I would always get like my success would always be attributed to the fact that I was a talented kid and not the fact that I busted my ass to be good at things. You know what I mean? And so ever since then, like I've always been, I've always shied away from compliments of like, oh, you're such a talented photographer. I'm like, no, I just work really hard. It's like, no, you're actually talented too. Like I have to, I have to consciously accept that I could be both. You know what I mean? But it took years of my life to get to the point where I could even accept that as an idea. Like for a very long time, I was very... I don't know, lack of a better way of saying it, very Marxist about my, my talents in the sense that, you know, I believe that it was all hard work and, and no, no inherent talent at all, which is dumb. What we call natural talent. I think there's, there's two things that qualify. Some people are just a little bit better at the beginning of something. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe they're the same thing. It's the same thing. It's just sometimes people are lucky to be into something so that they're so passionate about it. It looks like they're not trying. So they're kind of the same thing, but they're different. Oh, they're very different because, and they, by the way, they can operate at the same time. But I think the thing about it is the idea of the the genius or the natural talent is like you saying that like people look at it and they go, oh, that was easy for you. 
No, that's not what that means. Yeah. It doesn't mean that there's no work involved. You know, like Mozart didn't just like wake up and be like, Mah! you know, he just wake up one day and just pen all of his songs on sheet music and then roll over and live the rest of his life, you know, masturbating. <laughs> he had to work and struggle for years, but the genius is just like, I, I like the old idea of genius, that it's something outside yourself. That sure. the, the genius is the, is the thing that visits upon you. Genius is the idea that's visiting you. You don't have genius. Genius comes to you. Mm. I don't because know if I buy that. I don't think people are geniuses because a genius intonates that they just have it. Like for example, Van Gogh, come on, Van Gogh sucked at painting for a long time before he got good. He's, yeah. So what is the idea of genius? If you have to develop, what is genius? There is no genius. Well, let me, yeah, but let me give you, let me give you the counterpoint to that. Half of my family, family is born with perfect pitch, including myself. Right. Including, including people in my family who have never been musical in their lives, but they have absolutely perfect pitch. Right. But that's not genius. Yeah, but there's, there's like you said that some of them are not musical, so you can have perfect pitch and still suck. So you're not a genius. You just have a talent. Yeah. But then that comes down to your definition of genius because I don't, I don't think that painting requires genius either. So by your definition, Van Gogh for as good as he was, wasn't a genius. This is what I believe. I believe genius is an aftermarket evaluation. When somebody yeah, looks at something and goes, that's awesome. That's when somebody's a genius. No one ever looks at somebody on their way up and go, that's a genius. Uh, there are a few of those though. Yeah. But are they right? Look at all these, look at all, look at all of the prodigies. What happens to prodigies? How come, you know, like all these kids, like, oh, look at this guy, this kid's seven years old and he can play Beethoven and then he becomes nothing. Uh, yeah. But that's not genius though. That's just, that's uh, what people uh, call that's, genius. That's not even, but that's not even a prodigy, a prodigy. That's a. A kid with spectacular hand-eye coordination who practiced a lot. I think the genius is an illusion. I Maybe. think that it's something that we like to say because it excuses the, thing, the things that we can't do. I couldn't be a great painter because I wasn't a genius like Van Gogh. Maybe. I couldn't write piano concertos because I was not a genius. We think about someone like Mozart, for example, right? Like, I mean, Mozart practiced piano six, seven, eight, ten hours a day. His Requiem, which I still think to be his greatest piece of music, took him decades. Right. So, and, and decades of painstaking refinement to a fantastic skeleton that required both perspective, time, and work to achieve. Yeah. So I think if, if we we're so, going to give the proper definition of genius, it's dedication that actually comes to something. So yeah. So it requires hey, but, both. But, yeah, of course it does. And I, I think that's, that's the goal of my life. If I'm going to define an apex of what I really want to achieve in my life, it's to make sure that whatever aptitude and, and there's a qualifier to that too, right? For example, I'm in, I'm, I'm really good at math. It's always been extremely intuitive to me. I hate math, so I'm never going to do it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, 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 but by that same token, I've always been good at photography. I've been taking pictures since I was like 10 years old. So there's an aptitude there, but I also worked my ass off to get right. good at it. You know what I mean? Like I took on average 80 to a hundred thousand pictures a year for 10 years. You know what I mean? And, and so, you know, I don't know very many photographers that can say that they've done that. 
and 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 in the process of doing that it, and I, I hate this practice makes perfect assumption too as well the I, I always bring it back to golf but it applies to you know it applies to 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 my photography or my writing or my musical study or whatever in that you can practice a ton of the wrong thing and never get better you don't want perfect no there's no perfect painting because if there's perfect painting then you only make one painting ever if there's a perfect golf shot then you only have to take it once ever you don't want perfect practice is part of the whole thing it's not a goal no 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 hold on hold on you're missing my point my point is this you of course you have to practice and perfect is never the goal but the, the, the problem that I have with practice as an idea too, is that a lot of people practice stupidly, right? There has to be, there has to be a willfulness to the pursuit. There has to be beyond the, 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 the minutia of just constantly doing something in the hopes of getting better at it. There has to be a willful pursuit of better. Right. And if you don't have some understanding about what it is that will make you better, you're going to do a bunch of work that gets you nowhere. Well, what I'm, what I'm taking exemption with is not your point. What I'm taking exemption with is the phrase practice makes perfect. Oh, sure. Because okay. perfect anyway. is not the goal. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants perfect. We think uh, we want people, perfect. People think perfect. they want perfect. <laughs> perfect is boring because like I said, if there's a perfect song, then there's only one song. Perfect means singular. Yeah. But perfect is, is childish of thought. Like, I mean, anyone That's who, my point. And and that's the cyclical horror that people get into that destroys their psyche when it comes to this kind of stuff, right? You that's never get point. to perfect. Yeah. Pract practice makes perfect is bullshit. Just like the idea of the genius. The idea of the genius was created by people who weren't, didn't see themselves as geniuses. It wasn't created well, by who, someone who was a genius. The, someone who wasn't a genius be like, you know what I call myself? That didn't happen. Well, it created, it was created to give, you're right. It was created to give people an excuse to not be able to achieve. Yes. And that's, you talk about things that you've faced your whole life. Not that I've ever been called a genius, but I have been, a lot of things came very easy to me. Like mm -hmm. school, I never studied ever. And I would get mm -hmm. grades just because I remember things. It's just the way it happened. I never learned to work on that stuff. And people would always say, oh, you know, like it just comes easy. To you. Yeah, you're right. It did just come easy to me. Memory. Mm-hmm. But that's not genius, you know, like that's just memory. But when it comes sure. to like other things, like I was always naturally drawn to art, the arts in general. So this is why I say, you know, like there's a, there's a natural propensity towards things, but I don't think it's a natural advantage. So I'm just really interested in the arts. So why was I good at the arts? Because I was willing to put in the work, like you said, because I was interested in them. It's like what you said sure. about math. You're never going to be a genius in math because you're not willing to put the effort into it because you don't like math. I hate it. Sure. But, you know, like, why is, why is that kid naturally good at football? Because he loves football. When he goes home, he does nothing but play around with the football. That's why he's good. But there's, there's, there's a certain thing to be said for aptitude, though. Aptitude is just the first part, though. Of course, of course. It's just the ramp. Yeah, it's the ramp and, 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 or the rocket booster and you have, you still have to ignite it and you still have to steer the ship. But I definitely feel like there, there, when you say that no one starts out with an advantage, I don't believe that to be completely true because I do believe that some people, at least at the beginning, do have an advantage. And if they continue to work, they will continue to outpace everyone who's, I, I'll give you an example. So I've always been a good talker. I've always been really 
good at like navigating social situations and communicating and that kind of stuff. And later on in life, that translated into various things, right? Like when I did speech and debate, I was really good at debate. I, I just crushed people, you know, and later on in life, I, I, I was a public speaker and, and, you know, a leader at nonprofit organizations and stuff like that. And I always, I always excelled at those things because I had that inherent aptitude. And it's not to say that I didn't work my butt off, which I did, but if you combine that, that the work ethic with the aptitude, then you get a, you get a whole different ballgame. You know what I mean? People seem to see aptitude as this continual state. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, you know, looking at like a three-year-old, you're really good at drawing. And there's an assumption that that is something that they have. And that as they get older, no matter what they choose to do or don't do, they're always going to be better than everybody else at drawing. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I see where you're going with it. The aptitude is just that initial. So you have an aptitude to drawing over other three-year-olds, which means maybe you can draw a shape that's a little rounder. Your, your, mm-hmm. your jump is not that far ahead of everybody else. Not enough to be using sure. words like genius and stuff like that. And even yeah, in the no, case, that's crazy, of course. And even in the case of prodigies, it's still that. That's why nothing ever really becomes of them. They just get that initial boost at the beginning. It's not this continual mm-hmm. aptitude. It doesn't mean they're always going to be better at piano. In fact, what mm-hmm. usually happens with those kids is they're so far ahead. And then gradually over time, everybody catches up to them. Yeah, I, I will tell you now, that's exactly what happened with me in music. You know, like it, that was one of the first ever things in my life that people kind of jumped onto as a, you know, Lamb, you're really good at that. Like it, ever since I was in like elementary school, that was a thing. So I got lazy. And, and over time, because music came so easy for me, like I, I became a lazy sight reader. You know, I didn't really practice nearly as much as any of the other kids. And I, at one point in my life, people just started passing me and I didn't even realize it until people were way past me. I was the same way. Like I said earlier, school was super easy for me. At a certain mm-hmm. point, school got hard, but yeah. I didn't know how to deal with it because I never learned the, po- you know, the, I, I was you lazy. Never I never those learned muscles. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So that's why you look at so many people that are successful sucked at the thing that they were, they didn't, they didn't start out good. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have the, they didn't have that natural advantage. Sure. That's why it's, it's such an illusion is because, you know, like look at Michael Jordan, right? Mm-hmm. Considered one of the greatest basketball players that ever lived. He couldn't make college basketball team because he mm-hmm. sucked. Yeah. He didn't have the natural advantage over everybody else. He was one of the people that sucked. So because of that, he had to learn. He had to mm-hmm. put that advantage in. So, you know, you look at the, the kids that are, when you're, if you played sports when you're younger, there are some kids that were good, right? They didn't all go on to become quarterbacks because they never learned to work. They just happened to be a little bit better at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, I will say that, you know, that defines my, my tenure through golf too. When I first started in golf, I was terrible. You know, I was, I was god awful. Like among my group of friends, I was probably one of the worst, but I just never stopped. I just kept working. I, I, I worked tirelessly to get better at it, you know, so much so that I ended up having like a career in it and doing all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, to this day, like, I mean, now, now looking back on it, like for all of my friends who either started at the same time or started even before me, I am, I'm better than all of them. And that's not to say that I, it's not a judgment. Obviously I'm not a better person than them or anything like that. I just got way better at golf because I worked my ass off. Right. 
And, but and and you're right though. I mean, the 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 correlating thing there, or or the, you know, the 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 point that ties it all together is the the fact that like I cared about it so much, and I was willing to put in the work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and and beyond just putting in the work, because there's a lot of people attribute things to like the the grind of waking up every day and making a commitment to it. No, there's more than that. You know, like if I look at the things that I've gotten really good at, golf being the most simple example to 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 illustrate this point. You know, I, I, I woke up every, not woke up every day. That's a weird thing to say. Every time I worked on my golf game, I did it deliberately and I did it thoughtfully. You know, I didn't just drop a bucket of balls and smack balls until my hands, until my hands bled. You know what I mean? I, I, I practiced with purpose and I achieved with purpose. Like I want to achieve a very specific thing. You know what I mean? Yep. And I feel like that's that's something that's lacking in a lot of people's processes when it comes to getting better at things is they practice without purpose. That's why that illusion of the perfect practice makes perfect is so silly. Oh, I hate that that's statement what you're so much, man. I, I hate that statement so much. It's such a, it, it, it's, it's, it, 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 it's nails on a chalkboard to me in the same way that the statement don't be nervous is. That's just mm-hmm. a stupid thing to say to someone. Don't think of an elephant. Don't think of an elephant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about it as an elephant. (laughs) Yeah. That's the stupidest thing in the world. Why? Not only that, I mean, regardless, regardless of, I don't know, you know where I'm going with that. Like regardless of how much you tell someone to be not nervous, like that's just nervousness is a a part of every environment that you're going to go into when you're excited to do something. I mean, what the nervousness tells you is that you care about the thing you're about to do. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. Use that energy and reshape it into something positive. Don't try right. to eliminate it. That's to be dispassionate about something is to remove that nervousness, and to be dispassionate about something that you care about is to no longer care about it. Indifference is a mask for insecurity. Perfect. Yes, absolutely. I, is it, I, I feel the same way about cynicism. Mm-hmm. Well, they're the same thing. Cynicism, cynicism defines weakness. Yeah, As cynicism is saying that sucks, and indifference is saying I don't care about that. But they're both Which covering inherently the same thing. Yeah, of yeah. course they are. Yeah. All right. Well, we're we're nearing an hour, and you wanted to talk about the the Matrix. So now's your chance. So how do you feel about it, dude? I don't really remember it. No, as in like there's there's a so so don't I don't care about the Matrix two or Matrix three. Watch the first one again, and then watch the trailer for the new one coming out. Oh, there's a new one coming out. How is it? Yes, work? that's why I'm asking. There's a new one of everything coming out, isn't there? Well, no, yeah, but the Wachowskis, to give them some credit, though, the Wachowskis have been working on this since the original Matrix. The technology has just finally caught up to what they want to achieve. I do, I do think that I would watch it just because in the last, like, 10 years, look at what Keanu Reeves has become. Sure. You know, like, we always used to, like, joke around about him. Like, he was, oh, was he Ted? Yeah, he was Ted, right? He wasn't Bill. Mm-hmm. Bill was the blonde. Yeah. We always kind of thought like that's who Keanu Reeves really was. And he wasn't really respected for a long time, but within like the last 10 years, he's become really respected, like universally. Yeah. Cause he's a good dude and he's a kind man. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just because of that is like, yeah, I'll watch anything he's in. Yeah. I totally agree. Cause just cause he's a good human being. Absolutely. But you're right. I do need to rewatch the first one because I remember so little of it. You know, I remember like the main things of course but i remember so little of it and considering how common it is for people to use the term red pilling now mm-hmm. i guess you have to go back to the, I know, the source I know. and have i just you, finally watched go ahead go ahead. i'm curious no, to ask it no i want to see if you're going to ask me if i've watched the thing that i was about to say the foundation no not yet i haven't 
red pilling. I just finished finished watching the cute documentary mm-hmm. on HBO, and there's yeah. that fantastic intro to that show with the red pill. Mm-hmm. It's a really well done documentary. I thought, yeah, but yeah, no, I haven't. I've got Foundation on the on the docket, but why the Last Man is out now too? Oh yeah, 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 true. And I really want to watch that, but I've only read the first issue of that. So I feel like I should like read it before I watch it. I don't know. I'm feeling differently about that these days. I, I, I'm redefining my definition of source material. Right. But no, I just mean, I don't want to spoil it. Oh, I see. Everybody that's read why was like, this is one of the best comic books ever written. Did you ever watch the TV show, Chuck? Oh yeah. So his favorite thing in there is why last man. So because of that, I'm like, I want to, I want to understand like, what did they, what did they see in the original without like seeing all the things that they've changed? You know, like what I'm discovering more and more is I'm less interested in the adaptations of things. Yeah. I, I, I find that the only way that I'm interested in both is if I just treat them as entirely different things. It has to be something I love. Like if I just love a character, you know, like Sherlock Holmes. Almost every adaptation is in some way comes up short of the source material. Of course. But I love Sherlock Holmes, so I don't care. Well, let me ask you this, though. Let me ask you this. If you didn't know anything about Asimov, Asimov and if you hadn't read The Foundation, would you feel differently about The Foundation show? I probably if you wouldn't didn't even be know, interested in it. If you, if you didn't even know they existed. No, let's just assume that you're you and you like sci-fi. Mm. And you like your know, thought experiments and philosophy and all that kind of stuff. Let's just remove your not your prior knowledge of the existence of the source material. Would you enjoy it differently, or would you would you treat it differently? I'm sure I would. I mean, I'd have exactly. to, right? Wait, but <laughs> so, not, so that's I've what, read so, I've read Foundation though. That's not. Why oh no, I, I know it. you have. Of course, I know you have. That's I've read all the books. Just the first one. Yeah, but that's my point though. Is that. You know, where I've gotten to in my life now when it comes to consuming certain things, because you have to remember a lot of people, like we think about Denis Villeneuve, for example, right? They're fans just like we are. The difference is they just have hundreds of millions of dollars to produce their vision of what they thought it should look like. Right. So, so I treat them as entirely different things. So like the foundation series, I love the foundation series. It's one of the, the most, it defines a lot of the way I think about the world in a weird kind of way. And actually part of this weird existential crisis, which I haven't even talked to you about yet that I've been having over the last few days is kind of defined within the scope of what the foundation kind of created as, as, as pillars in my own mind about how society works. But I treat the, I treat the show and the book as entirely different things. Oh, so do I, I just. I prefer to experience the original before the plot points are ruined by the adaptation because, because the, the adaptation by definition, they have to put their own mark on it. That's the way it works. And and as they should, as they should, they should give it their own twist. They should change things. I removed this character because I thought this character was superfluous, you know, like, uh, Lord of the Rings, no Tom Bombadil in the movies. Mm-hmm. Super important character in the book, none in the movies. That's how you make your mark, right? But I want to see the source material as it was and experience the thing that was so that I can appreciate what they've changed. Mm. You know, like, or sometimes I just, I'm not interested in seeing the new, th- you know, like the, I like Will Smith, but I have no interest in seeing I Am Legend. <laughs> <laughs> 
because from the four seconds of the trailer, I know it has about 12% in common with the book. And the book was incredible. Book was great. Yeah. And all the things I like about the book aren't going to be in the movie. Yep. You're, you're right in that sense. Yeah. And by the way, I can, I can confirm, I can confirm to you that that's 100% true. I hated the movie and it's not to say that I, if I hadn't, but that's the thing though, is that they, I, that's, that's one of my, my, that's a great example actually, because I love the source material so much that if it didn't live up to what the source material was, it was always going to fail to me. Well, I am legend is basically like the road. Yeah. They're mm. very similar books in that post-apocalyptic loneliness. Sure. That it, it's, it's someone alone in the world. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of interaction. And then you watch that trailer and it's like, there's people all over the place. And like, he's on a, like on an airplane shooting, a, uh, hitting a golf ball. And then there, there's super fast moving, like, like almost aliens creatures that are supposed mm -hmm. to be zombies. It's like, no, that's not what was interesting about the book. The interesting thing about the book was the monotony of yeah. him having to wake up every day in that house because it's the only way he could live. Well, not only the monotony, but how they treated the vampires in the book in that they were just normal people. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was, I, I hated how fantastical they made the, 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 the vampires in the, the movie. Like it just ruined it. Like it, because it's, it's supposed to be a really, really powerful social commentary. That was the point of the book. It wasn't about vampires. There's a right. difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that is 100% lost in the movie. <laughs> that's, that's what bothers me sometimes when they do adaptations is when they lose the thread. It's like, dude, yeah, you can yeah, change yeah, all the details you want. Just make sure you preserve the core of the story. Man, what I would love about? to. I mean, if you gave me uh, like 50 million bucks or even if you gave me like, like 10 or 20 million bucks, I could make a way better version of that movie. You don't even and, and I know a that a lot. A lot of people say that, but I feel like, I you feel like do that movie on a shoestring. Yeah. And, and I think about, I think about, you know, because a lot of people say that kind of stuff. Right. But like, think about who our friends are. Think about our history with writing and all that kind of stuff. I actually think we could make a better version. Of that. I mean, it's not hard. Like 80% of the book takes place inside of a house. Yeah. And not only that, but so, so the thing that really, the thing that was really great about the book is not just the loneliness, because that was a fantastic, that how, how, how loneliness is portrayed in that book is fantastic. But the other side of that too, is how ominous things were like, so few things were bright and loud and scary. Like, you know, he would just peek out his little, his little mail shoot door and see people walking around on the corner of the street, looking at him, you know what yeah. I mean? Just think about There's how like a sense of ominousness to that how creepy the scenes would be in a movie where he's inside listening to music really loud on the record player because he's trying mm -hmm. to drown out all the people just standing around his house trying to taunt him mm -hmm. to come outside. Absolutely. That's, that's like you said, ominous. That's a super ominous scene right there. And I could tell that's not going to be in the movie because they put him in like an not. apartment complex. Yep. And I'm like, no, he's in like a suburban house. And like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta read that book again. It was such a genius book. I love it. It's a wonderful book. book. He's that guy is. He's also the guy that wrote Stir of Echoes. Oh, okay. Richard Matheson. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I love he, that book. Okay, he I wrote gotta, something I gotta, else I, too. I have a copy somewhere. I gotta find it. I, I really love that book. It's such an easy read too. You can read it in like yeah, two days. Yeah, it's so fast. It's not even two days, man. I read it, the first time I read it. I read it one day. Oh, he wrote What Dreams May Come too. Oh, I didn't know that. That's a completely different direction. Oh man. The movie just didn't, 
I mean, Robin Williams, I love him. I love him. I mean, yeah, but it wasn't anything like the book. <laughs> I haven't read the book, so I don't know. Okay. But the movie, I found the movie beautiful. I yeah, the movie was beautiful. Yeah, the movie was great. Um, I don't think I could watch it now, knowing that the plot is about suicide and Robin Williams is in it. Yeah, I mean, but that's I think that's he ruined that I, movie. I, I feel like I did that in reverse, in that I saw the movie first and then I read the book. And as much as I liked the movie, reading the book ruined both the movie and the book for me. But that doesn't take, that doesn't, ruined is the wrong word. I, I just got the completely wrong idea about both, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, after I read the book, I really started to understand a lot more of what the themes in the movie were. And seeing the movie then kind of gave me a visual storyline or a linear story or a linear timeline that helped me to understand the book a little bit better. But theme-wise, there are overriding themes in both that have nothing to do with each other. And that's very annoying. Did you know that I Am Legend, the movie, is actually the third time they, adap- they adapted that book? No, I didn't know that. I can't remember what the first time was, but the second time, I think, if I'm getting the order correctly, was Omega Man with Charlton Heston in 1971. Jeez. And I'm imagining that's got to be a little bit closer to the book. I I don't Mm. remember what the other one would be. I'm trying to look at this list right here, but I remember reading something. They said it had been adapted three times. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, man, I have no idea. I didn't know that. He wrote Somewhere in Time, too. Oh, I didn't know that either. Christopher Reeves movie, sad ass movie. Yep, yep, yep. Man, that movie was brutal. Remember how and sad the, that movie was? And the Rock is so perfect for that soundtrack. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have a special place in my heart for Rock anyway. So I mean, it just kind Me of too. Fit. Man, I remember that one. I, honestly, that was one of the first movies I remember crying in. Mm-hmm. That was a really, really rough movie. Yeah, that's a really sad movie. He does loneliness mm-hmm. well, Richard Matheson. Yeah, <laughs> you sensing kind of something about his everything. life. Yeah. <laughs> I should just read everything he ever wrote. He didn't write that many novels. He only wrote about like mm-hmm. 20. And they're, if they're all as fast as that. All right, well, let's get out of here. We said we we're going to limit to an hour when we did these. We're over. And I kind of like, I kind of like, like stopping when we both want to say more. Yeah, instead of getting to where we peter out. Yeah, that's no fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's perfect. All right, human beings, thank you for using your ear holes and listening. Thank you, everybody. This is the first time in a long time we really didn't talk to the audience at all. You realize that? Yeah, I like that a lot better. Yeah, me too. You want to plug yourself to, to the audience? I guess. Um, on I'm on the Instagrams at the vacant room, all one word, exactly how it's spelled. I'm on Twitter at Lam Nguyen Coms, which is L-A-M-N-G-U-Y-E-N-C-O-M-M-S. And that's pretty much me. I'll put the links in the description too, so you guys don't have to rewind to to get the spelling. And uh, your name is Lam Nguyen. You probably should have said that part. Yeah, probably. Whatever <laughs> though. doesn't matter. I am C.A. Hall, and you can find me on Twitter as It Matters But. And you can go check out the podcast, It Matters But It Doesn't, it's available pretty much anywhere. And you can go to itmattersbut.substack.com. I'm not using a another URL because it costs 50 bucks. I don't feel like 50 Jeez. bucks for a custom URL. That's close enough. Mm. Itmattersbut.substack.com. You can subscribe to my newsletter, which comes out weekly. You can become a paid subscriber on Substack. And with that, you will get the premium benefit 
of the book notes, which I'm slowly transitioning into what I hope will become a book club. And other than that, I don't have anything else to plug. So hi. Cool. Bye. <laughs> 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 <laughs>